good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take SideQuests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Just over here, sipping some Joe. Excellent. Having a good old time. You know what happened this week? What happened this week? Lots of things. I booked a whack-a-mole machine for a trade show. I also... Yesterday was pre-release for Magic the Gathering. Shout out to my Magic fans. Woo. Phyrexia. All will be one. And I, because it was a really long week for me with work and making sure to try to get all the tasks done, I don't understand where I started believing this lie that I need to get everything done in a single day, but that that's how I look at my work. It's a horrible uh, lie. It is. I, I told my girlfriend, I'm like, this is actually really bad. She had just said some, started telling me a terrible story of something really bad that happened to her friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody died, and we had just finished. And I pause. I need you to put your coat on. And she looks at me like, "Why?" I was like, "Cause we need to go buy magic cards." And she starts laughing. She's like, "You can't do that. I'm telling you a really sad story of something that happened this week." And I was like, "I understand." Tell me in the car. I. That's what I said. I said, I understand that you have a really touching story that you would like to share, and I want to hear all about it while we're driving to go buy magic cards because I've had a long week and I want to reward myself. And I forgot that th- it was pre-release weekend. Slava doesn't play magic, as far as I know. And pre-release happens once a quarter, right? So every three months they drop a new set. The new set has new cards, it has new capabilities and new whatever. New art style as well. Each set has a different art style, which is really fun. So even if you don't play the game, you can enjoy the arts. And so we get there, and the place is packed. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's Friday Friday Night Magic. Wizards of the Coast has done a really great job at marketing and advertising this um, weekly time where, hey, what do you do on Friday? You go play Friday Night Magic. That's what you do. Uh, It's... It's great. It's it's a lot of fun too. I'm terrible compared to like actual people who play Magic, but I enjoy it. It's a strategy game. It's a high strategy game. And uh, we walk in, and she's like, "There's a lot of people here." And I was like, "Yeah, take your pick. You can find a husband here. They'll never cheat on you. They'll never take advantage of you because they've never, never had attention the house, before, except Friday. Yeah, yeah. They, they've never had attention before. So it, you know, it's a great. If you got friends who are single, tell them to come here on Friday night. They'll find a husband. Um, and then I realized that Phyrexia was out. And we came back home, and I opened all of my 36 packs. Exciting. I don't know if you ever played Pokemon, Slava. I, I watched the, the cartoon. Did you? Yeah. I, so we used to play Pokemon. Was it an anime? The cards. Or was it a cartoon in the States? It wasn't an, was it an anime? It's technically an anime. Cause it okay, so I watched fan. the anime when I was a kid. I yeah, enjoyed it thoroughly. it was like one of the first animes. Okay, yeah. yeah. But um, I still remember, <laughs> Jeez, if she listens to this episode, she's just going to laugh. So the smell of freshly opened booster packs mm, really gets me going. It's just, it's it's like remembering my childhood. Oh, I yeah. remember when I pulled a Charizard in fourth grade. Oh, that was, it was just after the first editions had finished. And so it was like the year after I pulled a Charizard, still worth a hundred bucks, sold it, bought some more packs. Oh. Yeah, I can relate to the smell thing. And I think that the, it's pretty much a, a ubiquitous human experience right like a smell or i just stick with smells like let me be going to tangent like a smell (laughs) can take you back to a childhood memory take me back to the paradise city where the grass is green and the girls are pretty take me pokemon you know that song is actually about a place in illinois what yeah no was it paradise city yeah i think it is i think that's the song it's actually about a place in illinois or or they recorded it on a lake house in Illinois. That's the trivia I heard. I don't know how true it is, but that's what Axel I heard. Axl Rose's Memories of the Midwest. And if it's true, I walked that lake. I, I wanted to find this. Bloomington, Indiana. Axel and his family would go down to Bloomington, Indiana. Oh, okay, maybe it's Indiana. 
I heard clearly that your confidence is booming. Right now, it's about seventy percent confident that somewhere in the I Middle shouldn't West. have fact checked you. I should have just been like, "Wow, Slava, yeah, uh, you, you walk know, the it's... same path that Axl Rose walked." Yeah. Hey, listen, I might have been in Indiana when that trivia was t- told to me. It went in one ear, kind of was put in a file somewhere in the back of my brain, and then that was it. And now you regurgitated anytime someone says, uh, "Start singing Paradise City." Actually, no, this is the first time I'm sharing this trivia. <laughs> like 10 what other years. secrets do you have? You know what? Don't tell us. This not, is a public space. Yeah. We don't want to know your deep, a, dark secrets. A not explicit podcast. Oh, not yet. boy. Uh, okay. All right. What are we reading? What What did we read this week? One, a poem and a short story, both by Edgar Allan Poe. So you want to start with The Ravens, the, the poem? Let's start with The Raven. All right, so here's a little synopsis of The Raven. The Raven is an 18-stanza poem by Edgar Allan Poe, first published in January of 1845. It recounts the night a distraught man is paid a mysterious visit by a talking raven. At midnight in December, the speaker reads over old books to ease his sadness over his beloved Lenore's death. Suddenly, he hears a knocking. When he opens the door, no one is there. He stands in the doorway, gazing into the darkness and doubting his senses. Then the knocking comes again, from a window. When he opens the window, a raven flies inside. It flies into the room and perches itself on the bust of Pallas Athena that sits above his door. Amused, he tries to engage the bird, only to get the response, nevermore, to each statement and petition. The final stanza, which moves into the present of the speaker's retelling, sees the raven still sitting in the chamber, perched upon the same bust of Athena. The speaker has succumbed to despair and perceives himself engulfed in the raven's shadow forever. And Quote does, the raven. Nevermore. Nevermore. That, Jonathan, is the raven. So every time you say window now, literally every time, I just window. think about you yelling... The window, the window. Oh yeah, that from was from the other episode. That was an exercise in something. But Just yes. makes me laugh. Anyway, well, not a decent segue because both that story and this poem is, and the, the next one that we're going to discuss on this episode, it's all about a man slowly going insane. Right. Well, w- we picked these five stories, these five short stories and poems, looking at horror thriller. I don't. Would this be? I, Gothic writing is different. Mm-hmm. Would this be gothic horror, technically? I think so. But, you know, what do I know? Uh, I'm not, as established in the first episode, I am not a literary expert, I'm just a fan. No, 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 we covered that. I'm an, I'm an amateur, and yeah. you're the expert. I keep forgetting. I think that this could be <laughs> gothic horror. It might not. See, horror is a funny thing. You could have a horror movie that's, you know, a slasher, Friday the 13th. You can have a horror movie that's more psychological, Silence of the Lambs comes to mind. Then there's the, the recent movie that I watched about a few months ago. It's The Lighthouse. That has horror as- aspects to it, but it's definitely not true horror, right? So I think horror could be a flexible term, and I think it could be aptly applied to this poem. So it looks like gothic tales often involve circumstances of mystery and horror and general atmosphere of gloom and doom, and elements like dungeons, ghosts, decaying castles, and secret passageways. I, and I would throw in there madness, right? Mm-hmm. I, uh, we looked at five stories where, was it all five stories where, no, no, the first story didn't involve madness, but it did involve mental unrest and anguish. Mm-hmm. But I was, I was thinking, did all of our narrators and, going mad or having some mental I don't know, yeah, mental anguish I guess is just a fine way to describe it. No, I don't think so. The first one was uh, Silence. Silence. Yep. And the only people that are mad in that story are the the shadows. Yeah. Yeah. Shades? Yeah, the thing that's called Shades. Yeah, the thing there. I was going to see if you knew if you remembered the Shades. I did, surprisingly. Not Uh, Shards. Shades. Not shards. Good. Shards and are then Omni's thing. last case was next. Omni. Yeah. I mean, Omni. So he doesn't go mad, but I'm sure he. Mental strain is definitely 
you know, yeah, yeah. And then number three, number three, what was number three? So Game almost get... No, the we Game. just did Dagon last time. Yeah. So what was before? And Dagon? it was uh no, it was Gaiman. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Studying Emerald. Studying Emerald. Emerald. Yeah. So nobody goes insane there. The narrator. The window. No, not the window. In the in Neil the Gaiman's window? book, in the pastiche. The window. Pistache. The window. The pastiche Neil Gaiman wrote. The narrator who we think is Watson, but is not Watson. He so a non-trusted narrator. Right. He does not necessarily go mad in any of it, but he he does have like he a, these off. moments. He's he off. seems off. Yeah, but he has these moments where his mind is tested or his nerves are tested when he's looking at the dead. Deep one. Deep one, Deep great one, or great one, yeah. So, but that's not the same. But the H.P. Lovecraft and these two, we definitely have madness and we definitely have characters on the precipice of it or just nose diving into it when something happens. And that's something usually is, that's the horror aspect of these of these short stories and this poem. Which I'm I'm honestly very excited about this episode because my first reading of Poe was The Pit and the Pendulum. Maybe we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll do it in a different episode, but really, really struck an interest in me in Gothic or horror, Gothic writings, Poe specifically. There's a lot of symbols in this book that I want to get to as the episode progresses, but Poe is such an interesting character to me. He has a, such a sad, sad and short life. His parents die. He he goes to his godfather, who is not the best, treats him a little bit crappily. His fiance leaves him for somebody else. His second fiance dies early. Then he, what what else happens to him? So he gets robbed by somebody, and I forget where in the timetable that is. Like, <laughs> like a cousin, cousin robs him. And he has all these misfortunes, just a street, a stream of bad luck, not just a series, just like a stream of bad luck. And he finally makes it because he wrote The Raven, kind of makes some money, gets some notoriety. And then on the way to Boston, some somebody's going to have to correct me, but on the way to Boston, he goes missing for five days and is found disheveled in you know, somebody else's clothes, presumably dead. Wait, that was Poe? That was Poe. I thought that was okay. No, it happened. It might have happened to another writer, but that was Poe. <laughs> it happened to very least... common back in the early 1900s to go missing for five days. Yeah, and wake up on the in an opium den somewhere, or in Poe's case, in a gutter outside a bar and a polling place. So there's a few theories as to how Poe died, and there's more than three, but I'm going to name three because they seem a few to be theories most, that are more, weak and weary. We are. Yes. Uh, uh, so the okay. first theory is he was beaten to death by the brothers of his first fiance, because after his wife died, he re-engaged, pun intended, I guess, with <laughs> with his first fiance, and they were going to get Giggity. married again. Giggity. Giggity for the 1900s. Very much so. And so his brothers supposedly were very much opposed to the marriage, which probably why it fell apart the first time. They Is found him. Is he a paw man? He's a paw boy? Probably. So that they beat him to death. That was the first theory, right? The second theory is he fell back off the wagon. And because he had a disease, which I forget how to pronounce, but liquor would make him violently sick. And oh, he fell yeah. off the va- wagon and just died because of the disease. And then surrounding that theory is also a brain tum- tumor theory. And that brain tumor, according to the doctors back then, they didn't call it a tumor. They didn't know what a tumor was. But apparently something that was it's wrong a with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is definitely an opium den kind of, you know, discussion. Uh. So whatever that, that thing that he had, plus with him falling off the wagon, exacerbated his condition, and he died. And he was probably delirious. That's why he was found, you know... Oh, he wasn't found dead in the gutter. He found he was found unconscious in the gutter, and he died in the hospital a few days later. So that's a theory. Or the most interesting theory was that he was uh, a victim of cooping, and that was in the back in the eighteen hundreds. 
Back in the 1800s, people would kidnap other people off the street. These hordes or gangs would kidnap people, get them drunk, and go take them to voting places and make them vote numerous times. And there was costume changes involved. There was drinking involved. It's a weird thing. And because he was found outside of a polling place and outside of a bar, he had this condition that made him violently sick when he drank. The the final theory, I guess I'm on theory five now, when I said I was going to only share three, is that it was a combination of all three. Because what the doctors or the reports of, of the event give us is the doctors called his aunt and told him that he's talking to specters and he's losing his mind. And then he dies a couple of days later. So there's our, there's our twist for Raven. Is mm. Mr. Poe? You know the last time that Poe has appeared in a popular film? No, it was actually this year. I know it's February. Uh, it's February. Is right it a now. Netflix thing? It is a Netflix thing. Okay, so that's. I had an ad pop up. Netflix is doing a good with its ads because I looked up Edgar Allan Poe and the day before uh-huh. just to get like some interesting tidbits about his biography that I just shared. Lo and behold, I got a Netflix. Uh, you know what it's called? Uh, yes, the blue eye or something, or the dead the eye. Pale blue eye. Ah, there it is. I haven't seen it yet. No, uh, I, have, I don't have Netflix. We so. we literally picked these stories because we were going through this short story series, and Poe is just a good choice. And it's not a movie about Poe, but he's a character in it, like a prominent character. It's interesting because it's also called the Pale Blue Eye, and you know, as the Telltale Heart, which we'll get into. Yep. Pale blue eye. Anyway, bring us back to the raven. So, talk to me about the symbolism of of the raven, right? Like, so first off, the one of the things. Well, I like a lot of things about this piece in particular. I like the alliteration. I mm-hmm. like the stanzas. I like the iambic pentameter. I I suppose we should pause for a moment and just explain those things as well, in case the readers the read. The readers, in case the readers don't know, our 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 readers who listen to our voices, yes. I I love our readers. Uh, iambic pentameter is the cadence at which a poem is written. Is that a fair? Is that a fair description? I think so. Description. Yeah. Okay. Stanzas are the small paragraphs, if you will, of each set of iambic pentameter. So a really basic poem might be something like. A stanza that has A, B, C, and then stanza two would also be A, B, C, stanza three, A, B, C, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so it's this repeated pattern of iambic pentameter plus stanzas. Although, they, you know, I bet I bet we're going to get some comments about from poetry folks who are like, actually, because uh, I'm not. It's always an actually guy. And they might be right sometimes. Yeah. So, but there's also this, and I was reading about uh, yesterday or today, how. It's actually like an octometer. I'll have to find that note. I really, I, I like the alliteration. It reminds me a little bit of hip hop, honestly. So where he'll have these moments in uh, the middle of a line. And, oh, sorry. Alliteration is when you use two words that sound alike back to back. How else would I say it? It's it's like same sound, same letter. Beginning adjacent or closely connected with with the words so from the raven i i quoted it earlier like weak and weary what would be another one i'm i'm looking here uh it wouldn't be something like tapping 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 using repeating the word would not be an iambic pentameter entreating entrance that would be another one it would be sir okay now i have to read the words that wasn't uh from my books surcease of sorrow surcease of sorrow would be another one but it's this idea of repeating sounds and words but you hear it, and this is actually one of the reasons that I really love something like hip-hop, not something like the genre, hip-hop. Because the the language that they play around with is really fun. They have these phrases, and we're not going to quote any of them, but if you think of them, you can find them. You know, they describe something, and then after they describe it, they make an analogy in the same moment. You know, I'm I'm just a book who's trying to be unread or something like that. I'm clearly not a hip-hop artist. Uh, help me out here, Slava. You you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but I'm as lost as you are, too, to finish. I'm not talk. lost. I'm just wandering. I'm as wandering as you are, dear Jonathan. And it, 
in my head, I'm trying to keep the thought that I have about the symbolism of the raven itself that I want to jump in as soon as you're done with your thought. Fine. Just just share your thought, and then I'll get back to my train of thought on the hip-hop line. So the raven, there's a, there's a few different symbols in the raven. The raven itself, the bust of Pallas, Athena, and Pluto, which is, I guess, less than a few. It's three. It's more than two. <laughs> the ones that are coming to my head, at least. So the raven itself is a very interesting symbol. In the 1800s and probably earlier, ravens were viewed as messengers. And sometimes they're these divine or supernatural emissaries. Uh, it's the way of communicating with the unknown. They bring messages from, well, from I guess from the supernatural realm. And in Norse mythology, Odin had two ravens. Odin is the father of the Nordic gods, and his ravens were called thought and memory. So some of the stuff I found is that the speaker here is torturing himself with memories of his first love, and the raven could be a physical manifestation of his memories, which brings up an interesting theory. Is the raven a literal raven driving character insane, or is he just a hallucination? I think I think it's both. I think good writing is rewriting, right? So mm -hmm. you draft something, and it's and I feel like this is another one of those beliefs that I have that I don't know where I got, where it's just like, oh, every writer who writes writes with the first draft, and then they turn it in, and it's brilliant. It's, no, good writing is rewriting. So mm -hmm. I think that Poe wrote The Raven and then went back through and saw that there were some strong themes and went back and emphasized them. Now, we read it and we look at the symbolism, right? Mm -hmm. But the best type of writing is the writing where you let the subconscious flow through you and then you go back and you emphasize those things. I told this to my co-author back when we were trying to write our fantasy novel. I was like, look, I don't want to write an allegory. I, don't, I think that's too difficult to really nail down. So what I'd rather do is we just write and whatever comes out of the heart, we'll emphasize. We'll trim the branches, we'll prune it, and then we'll strengthen the things that are there because it's just easier that way. So th those are my thoughts on the symbolism. I think that there is symbolism there, and I think it's partly his subconscious, and I think it's partly how we read it. Do you want to go down the side quest of author's intent? Uh, yeah, why don't you start us uh, down that side quest, and we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes. So author's intent is the idea that no one cares about how you're reading it. How did the author write it? This is more of a, this is more of a, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you're more well-read in this, this stream of thought came more from the religious groups. Is that fair? Oh, you could say that, yeah. When you're doing textual study of, let's say, the ancient Bible. Ancient texts. Ancient yeah. texts, but let's just say the Bible for a more specific example. The author's intent is primary, you know, your primary task. And you, you understand that by understanding the author, the, the setting he's in, the audience, and the kind of like the zeitgeist. Remember that word from the last episode of the mm. time? What was going on? How would the first readers react to this? And then so you got the author's intent. You got the, the first audience's reaction or probable reaction. You base that on, you know, the evidence you have, you know, access to. And the application, since we're talking about biblical studies, the application for modern day. How are we to understand ourselves in 2023? in light of what these people had experienced and what the author was trying to convey to them in their time. Yeah. So author's intent, like what did what did Poe want to say as as the author? What was his intent here? Uh, I think it's hard to say, right? I think that back in the day, authors didn't necessarily reveal the man behind the curtain for the works that they wrote, Yeah. right? Right. So there's possibly two... How do I say this? Slava just takes my theory and goes, nope, actually, uh, factually, in the early 1900s in this zine, he was interviewed saying, beep, 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 beep. Yeah, well, so there's this philosophy of composition essay that Poe wrote, and he meant the raven to be the primarily, primary symbol of the poem. Now, again, author's intent, what do we know about what ravens were thought of as 
at the time of Poe. Well, they were thought as a supernatural emissary, right? Like what we what I said uh, earlier. So we can get to harbingers, authors, harbingers. Yeah, we can we can get to the author's intent by looking at at that piece of evidence from this essay. And I don't know how true this is or not, or how much stock to put into it, but it's also said that Poe was inspired by Charles Dickens and his pet bird to write this essay. When was and, Dickens alive? Uh, is he alive around the same time? I think so. 1800s. Keep going. I'm going to look it up. Here's, here's the thing. We get very little about the author's intent with those two pieces of evidence. Because, okay, yeah, we understand that the raven's the main character, main symbol of the poem. And we know, or at least we're confident, that he wrote this poem because the muse, when the muse hit him, the, when the muse struck, he was uh, thinking, at least thinking, of Charles Dickens and Dickens' pet bird. So we get a little point in the direction of what could be Poe's intent in writing The Raven. They were alive at the same time. Okay. Poe was 1809 to 1849. Dickens was 1812 to 1870. So Dickens was actually younger than Mm. Poe. Just by three years, but interesting. Anyway. Yeah. So author's intent, Poe, Dickens' bird. Right. So any bar. In the vein of the stuff that we read with even uh, Dagon, H.P. Lovecraft, like there, you know, this raven symbolizes the unknown. The it could symbolize the unconscious if we're gonna really crawl up our own butts around here, right? Like it could mean a few different things. But these gothic writers, a lot of their stories revolve around things unknown. Definitely H.P. Lovecraft, and as we mentioned in the previous episode, some of those things you're not supposed to know. Because, well, people who will find these out, they go insane. They, <laughs> they, 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 they not only skirt the precipice of madness, they full-on sprint and jump off into it. So Times anyway. haven't changed much then, have they? No, not really. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, all right, I'm, I'm stealing this side quest back because I found a couple lines that I think uh, support my point from hip-hop. So. Okay. Regardless of the political unrest that's going on with our our man Kanye, he's got a line from Last Call. He says, "Mayonnaise colored bends, I push miracle whips." So my point before was, there's colorful juxtaposition, there's colorful language use that takes a thing that you understand, and there's context there. Ma- mayonnaise, okay, mayonnaise. I know what mayonnaise is. It's this thing I put on sandwiches. It's you know white. Miracle colored benzes. All right, white white benzes. I push Miracle Whip. Well, well, what's Miracle Whip? Miracle Whip is a type of mayonnaise, right? Uh, there's another one by Lupe Fiasco, and he says, uh, "If talk is cheap, then my silence is diamonds." From the song "Go to Sleep," right? So like, there's Very these good. lines that are just super. They're 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 short. They're clippy. No, they're short. They're quippy, and but they hold a lot of meaning, and. I really appreciate that. I appreciate all the things. I say that all the time. It's one of my things that I say. Help me out here. Where was I at with my, my hip-hop and Edgar Allan Poe? Like nonsense? the way he put he his usage of words, you know, so like similar sounding words and how he, the, the cadence of the poem you really like. Yeah, the cadence, the, the juxtaposition of how he's yeah. describing things. I, I, I love that. And, it, and hip-hop reminds me of this old style that existed because we don't have, and, and we're going to get into this with the Telltale Heart here shortly too, there's a, a single line holds so much implication, and we just don't mm. get that anymore. We don't get that anymore, and I like yeah. that. I appreciate the, the, the brevity. Good writing is yes. brevity. Yeah. Right? Is that fair? Yeah. I feel That's like very fair. fair. I, I think we mentioned that in the previous episode, and I also mentioned my, my fellow classmate from Master's Program who wrote four sentences and surmised like 300 years of Jewish history. You I'm need like, to okay. find that because I want to hear it. I want to be the judge of this. I want okay. to be judge. Well, I, I don't have it because it was his paper, and I just yeah. Edited well, you it better find him. it. You better you better touch base and go. I've been talking about you recently, but yeah. Hey, Bucko, been talking about you. Funny that his name was like, Bucko. I really hope it was. I don't <laughs> think I don't believe you, but I re- I'm gonna don't tell me. Just forever, you introduce me sometime. Uh, this is Jonathan. Oh, Bucko, great to meet you. Happy yeah. to meet. Happy to meet you, Bucko. That's not my name. That's not what I've been told. I've told Slava numerous times to stop calling me Bucko. 
<laughs> on the run. All right, let's wrap up Raven and then let's get into the Telltale Heart. Any, right, what, so, yeah, go um, for it. Just a quick point about it. Because I think that that symbolism, because at least it was for me very intriguing. So the the final two pieces of symbolism, that's the correct, like the yeah. bust yeah. of Pallas Athena. So right, the the Greek goddess of wisdom and battle strategy. Um, that's where this raven, who's a harbinger of bad news, at least for our narrator, it sits upon there, right? And so as he's engaging with this raven, this harbinger who sits on the bust of Pallas Athena, he, um, what's the word I'm looking for, theorizes that this raven could have come from Knight's Plutorian shore. And uh, so Pluto is the Roman god of wealth in the underworld, and he takes uh, Hades' position Hades. in the pantheons. So the reference, again, at the risk of crawling up our own butts on this podcast, this reference to darkness and death ties in the idea of the ravens being messengers of harbingers or death or ill omen. And as this thing ends, this prophet is bird or devil, right? Like the, the character calls the raven. You fast forward into the future. He's still there. He's still haunting. He's still haunting our, our narrator. So, All right. So here's the thing. I, uh, this, is my, this is my final thought. I love ravens as birds. They're super they're super smart. They're they're associated with wisdom when they're not associated with death. But there's this this uh thing I saw on Reddit a few months ago that said oh it's just it's it's part of the reason I love I love I <laughs> part of the reason that I love ravens. Wow, ravens. They're super smart. You can befriend them. And they will bring you stuff. Uh, so yes. li- listen to this guy, uh, user Moki Pepper two two nine from five years ago. I recently became a breadcrumb dealer to the crows. Oh no, it's crows. I thought it was ravens. You know what? This doesn't work. That's my well, last thought. I, okay. This doesn't work. Well, I have. <laughs> I have. Um, since uh, one of the things we decided to do for the raven is uh, scour the internet for interesting theories or responses or just. Whatever. Dogs. And, the, and that's my dog. My dog. Uh, going nuts because we probably got a delivery. Um, so I found one. And so I'll, I'll, I'll read it and do with it what you will, dear listener. So this is by a Reddit user named Actual Name is Lana. So the power of Poe's poem springs partially from uncertainty. Because if ravens like the one in Poe's, Poe's poem. Oh, let me back up. This is, goes back to the first point I made, or a point I made. Is the bird real, or is it a hallucination? So, let me start again. And the power of Poe's poem springs partially from that uncertainty. Because if ravens, like the one in Poe's poem, can plausibly exist in the same universe as the one with 7 a.m. alarm clocks and gridlock and 9 to 5 office jobs, then Poe's madness and depression is also possible. And somehow that makes the ordinary version of the raven far more intimidating and terrifying to me than the supernatural one. I just thought actual name is Lana made a interesting point. That's all I have. I like the Raven. I like Poe. Poe's great. Poe's yep. great. My ability to find my my ability to find <laughs> <laughs> interesting facts about ravens is all hogs crow. Yeah, we'll cut it in post. We'll cut it in post. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Quote the Raven. Never more. Never more. All right. Telltale heart. Bring me. Bring me home here. Let's talk about this bad boy. So, The Telltale Heart is a short story by Edgar Allan Poe, first published in 1843. It is related by an unnamed narrator who endeavors to convince us, the reader, of his sanity while describing how he meticulously planned and covered up a murder he committed of an older man for no other reason than that man had one blue eye that was very disturbing. He calls it the eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye with film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. Soon after he finishes covering up the murder, police arrive to investigate a scream heard by the neighbor. Confident that he will get away with the crime, he invites them to speak and even places the chairs on the spot where the body is concealed. The police suspect nothing and their conversation is pleasant. But soon his ears begin to ring and he realizes he hears the old man's heart beating. 
the story concludes with the narrator admitting the deed and screaming that he hears the beating of the man's hideous heart. Okay, so here's the first problem. I know that you said that the only reason he did that was whatever you said, but that's not true because I'm, I'm, it's not true. In the second line, uh, and the reason I can't remember what you said is because I was staring at the second line. I was like, that doesn't seem right. Second line, the second Slava, number two. So the second line goes, the disease had sharpened my mind, sharpened my senses, not destroyed them, not dulled them. So the reason he kills him is not because of just the eye. It's because of the disease. He literally admits it. The narrator admits it. So the first line goes, true. Nervous? Very, very dreadfully nervous. I had been an M, but why will I? you say that I'm mad? The disease had sharpened my mind, my senses. Not destroyed them, not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing. Acute. I heard all things in heaven and in earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. Second line, disease. Disease overtook him. Fair, but I think, well, yes, disease overtook him, but the reason that he murdered him, we're going to get into semantics here, I suppose. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the disease sharp. I got to There you go. Well played. <laughs> so the disease overtakes him. The disease is, I guess, the catalyst for the murder. Mm, but, good word, catalyst. Well, what he describes as the reason later on in the story is, this pale blue eye that just drove him, well, it, mad. it drove him mad, but it was fear, right? It was some sort of a layer of fear vexed. in that madness. Ah, another vexed. Yeah, there you go. Good good word. So the, the, he was vexed by this eye, but he was only vexed by it because this disease sharpened the senses. So he could really know what the eye meant or what the eye symbolized or Let's leave it at that. Like, the disease gave him a sharper understanding of this eye, and he decided the man needed to go. So there's, there's talk that this story also has a lot of symbolism. Okay, so what are the, let's, let's identify the players, right? So we've got the narrator, right? We've got the eye itself, right? The house, and then we have neighbors and police. And the heart. Don't forget the heart. The, the heart. on after it's dead. It's literally in the title. See, I was I was setting you up here, asking to see if you're paying attention. And the heart. So we've got the narrator, well, it, the victim, too. I didn't mention the victim. See, you failed it. It's two points off. Well, the heart is attached to the victim. I, I think I got it. All right, fine, fine. So you've got this eye that draws his attention and causes him to commit a crime. And then... He just is constantly in his own head, but he's wrapped in his own house, too. The character, this this narrator never leaves the house. Mm -mm. So he's trapped inside his own perspective because of what he sees and how he interprets someone else in his life and, and his perspective on them because he was taken by this disease. The disease had him focus on the eye. The eye was fueling his madness per se killed a man then the outside source the external the community the people around came to investigate and went hey are you all right and he was like ah yes i am just fine i have sharpened my senses i've not destroyed them i've not dulled them and then he's driven mad well i he, he his madness flourishes right but it's this at least what I was looking this stuff up, it's the symbolism of your personal journey and what you focus on, drawing your attention, and then if you get driven to action of some kind, the community comes in and they check you on it, for better or worse. In this case, worse, right? This yeah. story actually reminds me of Fyodor Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, except okay. like a really fast-paced version because I actually hated Crime and Punishment. I have a full medium blog about Crime and Punishment being the worst book ever. <laughs> Literally the worst book ever. Yeah. Now, you might be thinking, Fyodor Dostoevsky is one of the world's greatest authors ever, and you'd be wrong, Jonathan. You know what? You're right. 
and I actually addressed that in the uh, in the medium piece. I yeah. just I put it in the title so that people clicked on it because clickbait. Right. But well, for uh, its worth, it took me, and I'm not kidding, it took me ten years to finish Crime and Punishment. And it when was I a slog. Finished, it was a slog. When I finished it, when I started and finished it for the umpteenth time, it took me probably a week and a half to two weeks to read it. But I was just like, I'm going to just do it because this is, I can't just get to the woman getting her brains bashed in and going, all right, I'm done with this book. And I don't know, I couldn't tell you why. There's no earthly reason. There's no logical or rational explanation to why Slava didn't. But having read a lot about crime and punishment, I finally decided, okay, I'm going to read it and finish it. I understood what the critics and the people who do literary analysis put forth as arguments about crime and punishments. I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah, but no, it's I an never excellent want to read it book for for the time. Yeah, yeah, same. That it's an excellent horse. Book. That horse, the scene of the horse getting beaten to death, is etched into my mind. Was it to death, or was it just just a beating? Did he kill the horse? Yeah. Okay, great. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Yeah. But this this reminds me, if you were to take Crime and Punishment and only take the highlights, the Telltale Heart is that. It's short. It's quick. You see the rise and fall. You mm. see the setup, the rise and the fall of the entire murder and then capture in a very short rundown, which I appreciated because one of the reasons I hated Crime and Punishment is because you are along for the torture of the journey, which is the whole point. I mean, that's that's why people are like, this is a great story. You get to see this character who committed crimes go mad and then be punished by it. It's crime and punishment. It's literally in the title. But that's why I hated it, because my personality type is, and, and I wrote this in the article, I don't do well with characters who don't take action. I don't tolerate it. I don't tolerate it in my own life. I don't tolerate it in people that I keep close friends with. Sorry, not sorry. Like, if you're not choosing to grow, that's fine. But we're not going to be super close because I'm trying to grow. And it's not comfortable. I will complain about it. But I can't sit with this character for, God, I don't know how many hours, whatever it was. And the guy's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. This, this madness is torturing me. It's like, great. Well, then turn yourself in or kill yourself, man, because I just can't. I can't. Like, let the madness take you. Turn yourself in. You're being chased down by this detective. Whatever. But I can't do it. Anyway, that's that. And that's our episode on crime and punishment that you didn't sign up for. Yeah. yeah. No, I hear you. I understand. And we, we before we started recording, we were talking about the same thing, the flip side of that, where you might, how do I say, how, what? I say I forgot what I said. The flip side of what you just said, like a character you can't stand, you still finish the book, right? So sometimes sometimes you'll run into characters that will drive you insane. But if it's good writing, even if yeah. it's punishment, like Dostoevsky's crime and punishment, something compelled me at the end of that journey, whatever you want to call it, something compelled me to finally finish that book. Well, I I had to finish it because yeah. I I had to I had to know like why is this such a well-praised book. Well, I, I think the people who don't like it as much, let's put it that way, I think some things might get lost in translation, too. And I read it in English because my Russian is horrendous. So I read it in English, but I grew up in a Russian-Ukrainian bubble, so I kind of maybe understand more, but probably not. Or at mm -hmm. least it's uh, not understand more, but I'm more sounds sympathetic. Sounds better in Russian. Uh, I don't think it sounds better in Russian. I think I'm just more <laughs> sympathetic to the symbolism or the illusions or all, all the words that we're, we're doing using this podcast. Maybe I'm more sympathetic to them. Mm. But who knows? Like, who knows? Like, I didn't love the book. And, and you know, I, I just said I understood it and I have sympathy towards the philosophy or the, the, uh, the story behind the story, if you will. And I still can't say that it was my favorite book. But anyway, Telltale Heart. Yeah. yeah you gotta, I, to I was looking for you to bring us back to the Telltale yeah. Heart. No, and we're... you were just like, and on Crime and Punishment, which we didn't read today, but clearly was impactful. Yeah. And if that says not, if, if nothing else about Crime and Punishment, it at minimum is a talking piece. Maybe it's the original clickbait. Ah. Yeah. Ah, anyway. 
Crime and punishment. Bring, bring us home. Crime and punishment. So we were talking about symbols before we went off of the side. We quest. did. Yeah. So the eye, the heart, and the house. You, you know, what you said is about the house was interesting. That he's fine to it, right? And he even can, you know, he he even when he kills the old guy, he confines him within the house. Yeah. Which let me let me just jump like something just popped into my head, and this is not a side quest. This is Telltale Heart relevant. Mm. Um, who is the old man? Because he's supposedly a rich old man, right? Yeah. Whose well, house is this? The the perception here is that the guys this it worked for him, served him, because he talks about this in in the uh, earlier parts of the story. For his gold, I had no desire. Okay, so he's yes, yes, yes. he's rich, right? Yeah. He had never given me insult. He'd never wronged me. I loved the old man. Okay. So yes, yes, yes. yes. This this guy served this guy. He saw them regularly. He slept in his house. I think that he was like a hired servant, right? Like hired I think so butler too. or something like that. Yeah, I think so. And I've read the story a couple of days ago for our podcast and numerous times before because I really like Poe. And I, I guess I just read it so casually that it never popped into my head. Interesting. So, yeah. What were you saying about the house? You just didn't I, know whose house it was? No, no, no. no. Who the, the, owns uh, this house? Yeah. What I was saying is uh, you made an interesting point about him being confined to the house. Mm-hmm. He, he never be, leaves. He never leaves. And yeah, well, that's it. I'm not, I'm not going to I'm not gonna belabor the point. I don't want to, again, I don't want to just blather on. The confinement piece of it is just interesting. Seems that way. I don't really have anything else about it at the moment. I, no, I neither do I. I just think it's a great dark story in vain of what we've been reading. It shows a man's descent into madness and he commits a, a horrible crime and then gets found out. So I think Poe, this is my final thought. I think Poe did a great job at Lava just exited out of the thing, the recording. Well, folks, the Slava has left the building. And this recording was wrapping up. I would say that the this is weird to do alone. I would say that Poe does a great job at describing madness. Two hours later, he's back. So something that would drive me to madness or anybody else when my dog was putzing around in here earlier. And I love my dog. She knocked out the charger. And so unbeknownst to me, my, my computer wasn't charging. And it just died. So I had to reboot. I'm looking forward to the edit on this one. Oh, did you talk crap about me while I was done? <laughs> Guess that? you'll have to find out. Guess All you'll right. have to find out. I'm, uh, I'm excited. My final thought. You plugged in? You I'm powered plugged up? plugged in, baby. I'm, I'm ready to go. Hmm. Tell tell a heart. Mm. All right. My final thought. Poe did a great job, and I would say he's in the same camp as Lovecraft. He did a great job describing the descent into madness, mm-hmm. the effects of madness. Now, I only say that because I've never been mad before, as far as I'm aware, and I don't think mad people understand that they're mad, which is part of the brilliance of it. They're convinced. They're so convinced. Maybe we're all deceived. Maybe we're to all a degree. A, we might be all deceived. Maybe we're in a what does Musk say? We're in a simulation. Simulation. Or we're in a yeah. pretty crappy one. But I really appreciate when writers can get the nuance, the perceived nuance of a state of mind and a state of being, nailed down. Mm-hmm. And this is madness. Killing someone yeah. for no reason. But I don't like your eyes. I agree with you. I think your uh, final thoughts before the recording, I said we're pretty much on the same page. I'm not even going to drop in mine in the chat because we're pretty much the same except for the Dostoevsky uh, connection, which I didn't make. Uh, I, I really like the way they set up the story, the world, the characters, and then for these particular stories, the madness taking the character, or the madness enveloping the character, and then eventually the character succumbing to it and suffering the consequences we want to ask you a question have you read the raven have you read the telltale heart if you haven't it takes like 10 minutes 15 minutes tops do it talk to us 
Yep. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Have you read Crime and Punishment? Have you have you read Crime and Punishment? I want to know. Have you punished yourself with the crime of reading Crime and Punishment? Describe how you felt during the 14-page scene of oh. a horse being beaten to death. Good grief. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Slava, you you want to tell us what we're reading next time? We're going to do something different. What are we going to do? We are going to discuss the first few chapters of The Way of Kings by Brandon mm. Sanderson, which I'm excited for. I can't as wait. I've, you can't read? Uh, yeah, I'm actually say? illiterate. <laughs> illiterate Man Please. Runs Podcast. Thrilling internet n- uh, news. That's great. Woof. Well, that's why I use audiobooks, right? So that that all comes <laughs> together now. Hey now, hey now, uh, hey now, hey now. You're an all star. Um, yeah, okay. Wow. Yeah. See, you wanted me to be more free with my humor in these things, and there it is. That that's the that's the. I would like to crescendo. be more free, but you are There's trying the, the, to be an adult these days, which is good for you. But well, well listen, I want this. Uh, I want this podcast to be somewhat serious, but you know, I get into this mode where I. Because I spent eight years in seminary, I get in this mode where I get kind of academic, and when I talk, especially if you put a microphone in front of me. Mm. But I also want to have fun on this podcast, and I want to, ha- I want our Slava listeners to have some fun. Want to have fun? Well, Slavas always want to have fun. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? Yes, Way of Kings. Way of Kings. Way of Kings from the which trilogy? Trilogy? Wow. Okay, English definitely my second language. <laughs> the Way of Kings, which is a five-part book series from the help me out the one and only Brandon Sanderson because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, a big fan as we've discussed before. Yeah, no, I got the Brandon Sanderson part because you've turned me into a big fan of his. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the series called? There's Stormlight the, Archives. Stormlight Archives. There it is. So the first book of the Stormlight Archives. This is turning into the prologue of crime and punishment, and not, not, <laughs> not a setup for the next episode. Yeah, you're gonna have wow. fun editing this. Yeah, or I might just keep it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. All right, so we're we're gonna start. We're doing something different. We're gonna try and read through a. So we're moving from short stories to our first novel. It's a doozy. So 100% spoilers. The book's been out for a while. So yeah. if you haven't read it, you should. If you want to do a read along. It's going to be slowish because we're going to do – we haven't set how many chapters, but let's say five for conversation's sake. Mm-hmm. Roughly five or six chapters, and I'd say after the first two episodes, we'll be kind of like in it. But yep. I can't wait. Can't wait. So excited. Yeah, same here. All right. So thank you all for coming this week. We hope you join us next week when we will be doing reviewing, talking about The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Goodbye, good people.